Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and we're here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. Now, that's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is publicly accessible to all children. No entrance requirements. You can call it a socialist idea if you like, but in fact it is a fair idea that every child, every child in Australia or even in the world should receive the best education that taxpayers can pay for with public money. And our schools, our public schools should be owned and controlled uh, by the government who are the representatives of the taxpayers. We know they're not with private-public partnerships, but that is the ideal that we work towards. As well as that, we are the only schools, the public schools, that can be publicly accountable, and therefore they should be the only schools that receive public money. Now, we have a website at www.adogs.info. And our press release, 7.30, if you go to that website, is good news for Christmas, which is, of course, um, in two days' time. The Johnson Amendment in the United States has survived. Why? Because Americans don't want houses of worship to become enmeshed in partisan politics, and Australians should follow their example. So what is this Johnson Amendment that has survived this iniquitous tax bill that we've been hearing about in the United States, which has given, put more money into the wealthy pockets of the uh, big corporations? The Johnson Amendment is a provision in the current American tax code that ensures that all tax-exempt organisations, including houses of worship, do not endorse candidates, political candidates. Tax-exempt organisations can all speak out on social and political issues, but they just can't take sides in partisan elections. After a months-long fight, church-state separationists have very good news in America. The final tax bill that the United States House and Senate are voting on and have voted on may have given enormous tax breaks to wealthy corporations, but that tax bill will not contain language to repeal the Johnson Amendment as Trump promised it would. 
because, as we've already said, Americans don't want their houses of worship to become enmeshed in partisan politics. They are places where people go to worship God. Now, this all makes sense. Tax-exempt states status is provided to non-profit organisations because they do charitable work. And electoral politics is not charitable work. But the Johnson Amendment also protects the integrity and independence of the charitable non-profits and houses of worship also. No one wants our charities and houses of worship to be torn apart by partisan campaign politics. In my experience, churches have got enough politics of their own without this added to it. On the campaign trail, Donald J. Trump vowed to get rid of and totally destroy the Johnson Amendment. And in March, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, the United States Representative Kevin Brady from Texas, promised to repeal the Johnson Amendment in his tax bill. All the while, however... Americans United for Separation of Church and State have continued their decades-long fight to protect the current law, which separates church and state. They've spent countless hours educating members of Congress and the public, as well as organising faith leaders and supporters. And through their Faith Voices project, the Americans United for Separation of Church and State 4,300 faith leaders have stood up in the United States and spoken out in favour of keeping the Johnson Amendment. And more than 10,000 of their activists urge Congress to protect the current law through calls, emails and petitions. Many of the faith leaders and supporters around the country also wrote op-eds and held in-district meetings with their members of Congress. As efforts to pass a tax bill played out, The Senate and the House versions were at odds. The House bill contained language to essentially repeal the Johnson Amendment, but the Senate bill was silent on the issue. The two chambers of Congress have been working to find agreement on what the final bill will look like, and they're going to vote on the bill. As we've seen, it's gone back to Congress. Now, the United States Senator Ron Wyden confirmed, has confirmed, that the Johnson Amendment language will not be in the final bill. It's a huge win. And we in Australia, as well as Christians and atheists in America, should take a moment to celebrate. But then, they and we have to get back to fighting to protect the Johnson Amendment and a similar amendment for Australia. After Congress passes the tax bill, it will move on to spending bills. And the House in America has been pushing to weaken the ability of the Internal Revenue Service to enforce the Johnson Amendment through its spending bills. Americans United will continue to watch for that and will let their members know when they need to speak out again. So the dogs, who are very interested in the issues of separation of religion from the state, given their position, their anti-state aid position, we will be following what is happening in the United States very carefully because the Trump administration is threatening to completely undermine uh, the public education system in the United States uh, in the way it has been undermined in Australia through the uh, doing away with the separation of religious and the state principle. So uh, that is, again, 
I've got a little bit more on the United States, which is of interest. In particular, there's the whole issue of students and their debts. And you'll find that um, they were going to think about the debts of students, uh, that's tertiary students in the United States, and what they were going to do with it. But... um, that also has been held up. So it's very important, and I make no apology, for finding out what is going on in the United States of America because usually the Australian policy makers who are lacking in imagination and historical awareness of how Australia really is quite different from the rest of the world culturally and historically they usually look at what is happening in the United Kingdom or America and tend to follow it rather slavishly. It's a great pity, a great, great pity, because Australia in 1900 led the world. Here we had what a very famous uh, writer, Meitang, called socialism without doctrines. And we were educating our children Uh, far more successfully than most other countries in the world. But as we always uh, know these days, we have fallen and we are falling so far behind even countries uh, in Asia and, of course, uh, way, way behind Finland. But again, the good Christmas news is that a Finnish educator uh, is coming to Australia next year Pari Salzberg. Pussy Salzberg. Hello, listeners. It's Robert here as well. Yeah, you, you listen to the dogs program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yeah, no, you're right, Jean. Pussy Salzberg's turning up in Australia. I think he's coming semi-retirement, but it'll be fun when he arrives, won't it? Well, I read that he was going to teach here. I think well, that's going good. to be... Well, I'm wondering who he's going to teach. Is he going to teach teachers? Is he going to teach our students, our lovely students in our public schools? I think it's going to be rather interesting because, of course, in Finland it is illegal. I mean, it's against the law of the country to charge money for education. Education is considered so important in Finland that it's, it's just a national responsibility. So if you are deciding you're going to make money from it or you're a religion and you want money from the government, that's just against the law. Um, everyone in Finland, everyone agrees in Finland that it's good to get the most amount of education into every, every single child in the, in, in the place. And so therefore it's not a question of money making, it's a question of, of, of teaching. So if he arrives in Australia, he's going to have a little bit of a surprise because he's going to be confronted with a situation where a large number of small children and large children and university students are all being charged money for their education. Uh, yes, very, very interesting again because uh, he's coming from a country that has not uh, been overwhelmed by the neoliberal ideology as Australia and America have been. But we'll have a bit of a break now for a piece of music. Um, let's go back to the Middle Ages because Indeed. that's where some of our neoliberal friends are taking us. Indeed, some, some, nice, some nice feudal music for these feudal times.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Some interesting music there. La Sclava Paro Un Hyogo. It's actually, believe it or not, it's medieval music, but it's from uh, what we today call Salonica. And it's Jewish music. It's Sephardic music. So never accuse us of not being particularly interested in religion here here on the Dogs Program. Um, that, that's got everything. Uh, Salonican Jewish music from the 17th century. I hope you enjoyed that. I, I'm just absolutely fascinated by it. It's a song. It's a very powerful women's song. And I don't know. I don't often take a diversion to tell you what you're listening to, but the words in this one are fascinating. It's about well, it's a it's a longer story, but just to just to pause it a little bit, 
the song she, she sings said that the servant bore a son and the queen bore a daughter and the faithless midwives exchanged the babies. <laughs> in one of those days she was seated in the cradle rocking the rocked one and swaddling the swaddled one. Yes, an accident of birth. I hope, hope no one did that to our current royal family, otherwise we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? Well, you can tell them the story of what uh, rock-a-bye baby in the treetop. <laughs> well, yes, we, we, we could take more of a diversion. But anyway, that was um, from a recording by Winsome Evans called The Sephardic Experience. We'll be playing another track from that later on the, on, on the show, just to calm us all down from all the silliness that's going on pre-Christmas. But as Jean was saying before, there is some good news around the corner. Um, and there's some bad news as well. And so Jean gave us the good news, and now I'm going to tell you some interesting things that have come out of the AIM network, which is the Australian Independent Media Network. Um, people can call it left-wing or right-wing. I don't, I don't understand those labels anymore. I don't think they make any sense. But there's a very interesting article written by Kay Lee. Now, as I have noticed, various journalists are getting much more punchy and much, much closer to our position, which we've been holding here for about three or four decades on 3CR, and turning us into some kind of mainstream uh, mainstream tel- radio program here on the radio, left and uh, right, I might say. Yeah, it's, it's it's all it's all it's all congealing, and so basically they're saying what we're saying. And Kay Lee and the AM Network has a very interesting article which he's entitled just boldly, "The Catholic Influence on Our Politicians Has Been to the Great Detriment of Education System in Australia." Straight up, just says it as it is. Dogs have been saying that for a long time. Yeah, and she says, look, in the light of the findings of the Royal Commission in institutional responses to child sexual abuse that got got handed, finally handed down uh, last week, the worst offender by far of all the institutions, because remember, this wasn't an inquiry into the individuals, this was an inquiry into the institutional responses. And by far the worst institutional responder was indeed the Catholic Church. Still is. Well, the Catholic Church, of course, has immediately in response hunkered down, absolutely refusing to even consider the recommendations that the Royal Commissioner has put forward um, because it will actually enforce them to reconsider this thing they call canon law, which has in fact been proven, canon law has been a proven factor in the ongoing abuse of children in Australia and indeed around the world. They refused canon law uh, means that priests have to have to refuse to report child sexual abuse when it's revealed to them in a confessional. So they have to not tell the police. Um, And they will not at all consider making celibacy optional. Um, The Royal Commission has found that um, the celibacy, in particular of the Catholic Church, but also other Orthodox churches, has contributed to the problem of childhood sexual abuse in Australia. And the Catholic Church is not willing to change that either. Now, if the Catholic Church as an institution which has failed its children so badly refused to to change, then the government should not be facilitating their hold over education of children in Australia. It's just, she's just drawn the dots straight there, straight there they are. Now, this is something we've actually never done specifically, have we, Jean? We've, we've, we've never drawn these dots, but, but this author is. This, uh, the dogs have never really, we've, we've refrained for many years from getting into the child sexual um, debate um, because we didn't think that it was entirely appropriate. But um, Julia Gillard has done us a great service in setting up this commission because the cries of children throughout the centuries have really been heard. And Julia Gillard heard them and the commission has not only heard them but tried to do something about them. 
Well, this author of this article, as I say, in the AIM Network website, Australian Independent Media Network, has joined the dots specifically because the Royal Commission has come out with a series of recommendations to stop children being abused, and the Catholic Church has refused to countenance any of them. And she's gone, so, well, if that's the case, if you refuse to countenance what the Royal Commissioner is saying, then you should not be put in charge of children in Australia, and you should not be funded by the government to do that either. Now, she goes on to say, historically, public funding of denominational schools has ceased in Australia by 1880, Mm. after the colonies set up public primary school system without the involvement of churches. This is way back in the the 19th century. It wasn't just the Catholic schools, of course. It was all religious schools. Um, There had been national schools set up in 1848 based on the Irish national system, and they, in the end had flourished and they were doing the job much, much better than the denominational schools. But the Protestant schools were, in fact, quite happy in the end to send their children to the state schools or the public Which is indeed what this author goes on to say. She says, um, look, the government at the time, governments, I should say, plural, because Australia didn't exist back then, um, decided not to include religious education in public schools because it was too difficult to try and respect everybody's consciences. So the solution to the problem, if everyone has a different point of view, then you just avoid the issue. You don't talk about God when you talk about maths. You don't talk about God when you talk about English and spelling. They are separate things. Public system, you can go home and do what you like. Personal conscience is fine. Now, the Protestant churches, as Jean was mentioning before, um, largely accepted the arrival of state-run public education. But the Catholics never did. And they resisted it by saying it was impossible to teach a common Christianity and that any teachings of Christianity must be grounded in the Catholic faith and no other. And so they damned all of the state schools as godless. Now the federal government played no role in education funding. The federal government played no role in education funding until Robert Menzies, who was facing an election in 1961 and he suddenly did a backflip. Dr Helen Proctor, a specialist in educational history, sociology and philosophy at the University of Sydney, explains this on a program on Radio National about six months ago. And I quote what Helen Proctor said. Helen Proctor said, there was a baby boom after the war, so there was a huge influx of students and also a hugely increased demand for secondary schooling, not just primary schooling, but secondary schooling. Now Menzies introduced funding for science blocks very suddenly. Having been absolutely opposed to any sort of federal intervention in state schools, suddenly, with a close election hanging in the balance in 1961, he decided he'd kill a number of birds with one stone. One, putting science blocks into Catholic schools was good for the Catholic vote. Another one is there was a lot of anxiety about the arms race, about science in the post-Sputnik era, about Australia catching up with science, so he did give money to all secondary schools, public schools, Catholic schools, independent schools, for science labs and then for funding libraries. And I assume this was to have the next generation educated enough to win the Cold War, to win the arms race. Now, following the report of the Interim Schools Commission, headed by Peter Carmel, which Jean has referred to over the years many times, Gough Whitlam ramped up federal funding to both the government and non-government schools in 1973 in order to remedy the terrible state of Australian education. And I would add, 
to again court and buy the Catholic vote because that was in fact the functional end of the DLP as an effective political party in its own right. Now, going back to the article, with this whole question of funding based on need back then, most of it went to government schools, but also a lot went to what they called poor Catholic schools. In the process, and through the following year, Fraser years, the system evolved whereby federal governments had the responsibility for non-government schools and the state governments had responsibility for all the state schools. Now, in 1986, the Hawke government brought in the new schools policy to stop new private schools setting up in places where there wasn't a demonstrated demographic need. When this policy was overturned Mm. by Howard in 1996, so it was for 10 years, but it's no, no longer there now, it allowed for the creation of many more small private schools. And I just add, here we have in Melbourne large numbers of small private schools opening up at a loss on the urban fringes of Melbourne. And so therefore state schools, assumedly, um, are needed. And this is where a lot of the money given to the Catholic bureaucracies for uh, disadvantaged children, this is where this lost money that they're starting to wonder about the Auditor-Generals, this is where it's going, Mm. to new schools, where state schools are not being put up. Yeah, and I'll be talking in detail about this lost money um, later in the show. But to return to this article, because this article just, just lays it out. It's completely fascinating. Well, it's a story we've been telling for a long time. Mm, yeah. Uh, once this new schools policy in 1996 was removed by John Howard, it actually made it possible to have a proliferation of private schools in, in districts without paying too much attention to what educational resources were already available in any particular local area, says Professor Maddox. Um, That opened the way for the situation that we now have in Australia with a lot of what you might call boutique religious schools catering to different, quite specific religious groups with specific enrolment requirements about having to belong to or to subscribe to particular theological positions and also requiring teachers to sign up, teachers to sign up to lifestyle agreements and adhere to particular theological positions. So I'm just waiting I'm waiting for the first teacher in a Catholic school to be sacked because they get married to their same-sex partner. Because that's exactly what Catholic schools can do, or any religious school. They're completely within their rights to do that in Australia. Well, there's already been a problem with a, a school in Canberra, hasn't there? But it wasn't a Catholic school. It was, a, it was a, another hmm. evangelical Christian school. Hmm. Anyway, to continue. When the funding arrangements are, are readjusted, what we've seen is that in every recalibration of school funding in the last 30 years, there is this impression that it's too politically dangerous in Australia to even talk about reducing the amount of federal money that goes to private schools. However wealthy they may be in terms of assets that they've amassed over the years, or however well-funded they might already be through fees or investments, At the same time, allocation to public schools, even very underfunded public schools, haven't increased at a comparable rate. Now, during the post-war period, since 1945 to 2017, 2018 soon, during the post-war period, religious instruction in the form of scripture lessons given by volunteers with denominational affiliations began to be offered in public schools. All the states except Queensland, after conducting inquiries, concluded that denominational religious instruction should either be replaced 
or in the case of New South Wales, supplemented by general religious education, meaning education about religion talk as an academic subject by the in-the-classroom teacher. Um, but this was resisted by, well, you guessed it, this would be resisted by Christian groups, mainly conservative Christian groups. Now, in, two, in 2006, Howard introduced funding for the school chaplains program, allowing any school, public or private, primary or secondary, to offer up to $20,000 a year for a chaplain who would be employed to offer spiritual comfort to staff and students. They had to be endorsed by a religious organisation of some sort to be a chaplain to get the money. Now, in 2012, the Gillard government expanded the National School Chaplaincy Program, both in terms of funding and numbers of chaplains, but also expanded in terms of scope. And what she did was she allowed schools to employ secular welfare workers not affiliated with religious organisations, as well as um, ones that have to be affiliated with religious organisations. In 2014, the Abbott government changed the rules back, making it once again only available to people from churches or religious organisations of some sort. Now, Abbott gave two men a few months to review the national curriculum, which had been devised over several years, from tens of thousands of submissions, um, I, I put in several myself, from experts all around the country and stakeholders. After those few months, after the entire national curriculum we devised and separated and, and sorted out, these reviewers decided we needed more emphasis on, well, you guessed it, what they call Judeo-Christian heritage. Cardinal Pell, remember him? He's hiding, he's, he's hiding out now at the moment, but he's in Australia. Cardinal Pell told him to get rid of the National Charities Regulator, told Abbott to mm. get rid of the National Charities Regulator. Something Abbott tried but failed to do. This is fascinating, Robert. Uh, well, now you're talking about the Charities Commission because the Institute of Public Affairs, which is a, a pretty extreme right-wing think tank in Australia, has just managed to put somebody over this organisation to replace Susan Pascoe, who was a, really a Roman Catholic appointment, and he is very, very much against the Charities Commission um, and um, charities getting exemptions and so on. Very interesting. Well, the reason that Cardinal Pell asked Abbott to get rid of the Charities Register is the Charities re- charities Register looks at the finances of charities. That's what it does. And the Catholic Church is a charity. And the Catholic Church does not want anyone looking at their finances. So the Institute of Public Affairs might be finally going to do the job for them mm. by putting their man in there to get yeah. rid of it. Now, several churches um, fought for the right for people um, of same sex to marry, like they fought against that very actively. And as part of that process, they used their schools as mission fields to do that. They sent letters home to parents, not, 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 by, by the way, not just Catholics, a lot of religious organisations sent letters home to parents saying, you've got to make sure that this doesn't happen. So the schools were used. This is taxpayers funded for schools were used in, in an overtly political way. Well, this is why we need a Johnson Amendment in Australia. Indeed. Well, our country, according to this article, has become increasingly non-religious, as shown by the last year's census. Yet religion holds over education is actually expanding in Australia. Religious schools are demanding more federal funding at the expense of public schools who serve the vast majority of disadvantaged students. Trainee teachers spend four years at university, partly funded by the federal government, in part racking up sizable personal debt. 
the churches have access to these trained staff further depleting the public system. Now, Australia, and this is, as I say, this is basically saying what we say all the time, Australia has one of the largest non-government sectors in the world. What we do is weird, okay? It's not what happens in the rest of the world. I have to keep saying it, especially when you're a place like Melbourne, which refers to itself and very rarely looks over the fence to, to anywhere else. What we do here in Melbourne is just weird with our schools. And we actually have below average spending compared to the rest of the world on public schools. So we, we spend less than, than, than America on public schools. We spend less than England on public schools. Our most disadvantaged children, who are mostly, vast majority are in public schools, get, in fact, the least funding for education. Now, the idea that some Catholic schools are poor, which was put forward back in the 70s, is ridiculous. This is what, oh, I'm not saying this. She's saying this. Perhaps they exist where there's no need for another school. Perhaps which the church has plenty of money to keep them open if required. It is revealed in the Royal Commission in 2014 that the Sydney Catholic Archdiocese alone had property and cash worth $1.24 billion. That's just Sydney. Well, they should be putting that towards the... That um, money is ultimately controlled by the Archbishop. Surpluses, which are, exi- which are surpluses, because they're not profits, of course, uh, range between $7.5 million and $44 million a year. So that's how much money surplus they get from their investments. And all of that income is exempt from tax and is reinvested to allow the church to do, inverted commas, good works. Assets such as schools and nursing homes are not included in the diocese account. So that's not including the assets like, like church, schools and nursing homes. Well, they don't pay any tax on, on those either, land tax or stamp duty or anything like that. The Sydney Archdiocese business manager, Danny Chase, said the Archdiocese had grown its assets by 86% in the 13 years since 2001. Okay, so they're, they're raking in, which is exactly when George Pell became the Archbishop. <laughs> Considering their track record of abuse and cover-up, and I'm not making that up anymore, that's just on the record, their aversion to oversight, they don't want anyone looking at their money or anything, their intransigence to change, their intransigence to change, and their enormous wealth, I can see no reason to continue public funding for Catholic or any other religious schools. And that's what the dogs have been saying they, since 1964. Exactly. Our ancestors recognised in the 19th century how inappropriate religious instruction in state schools was and how financial resources should be devoted to an education system available to all. If the church wants to provide an exclusive alternative education, then they can and fund it themselves, charging whatever they feel appropriate. Now, this particular author says, My father, a public school teacher, always said, We build a public transport system. If you'd rather use a car, buy it yourself. Now, that I find an extraordinary article. Um, I, I, I would actually like to say much more about it, but we're kind of, I'm, I'm, I've been parroting on for a while. I think now is about time we're going to calm down a little bit and perhaps have a little bit more music from the Middle Ages.
I thought you'd enjoy that. That's a bombard, if you want to know. A couple of them playing together. That's, uh, that's again from the 17th century. Again, it's Jewish, but it's not from Jews in, 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 in Salonika. It's from Macedonia. Yeah, and of course some drums as well. That one hasn't got any words, so I don't have to translate it, which is good. Just for fun. Just for fun here on the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Look, if you want to check out what we're on about, if you want to fact check me or, or Jean or, or just investigate further what we're talking about, everything that we say is available on our website um, at www.adogs.info. At www.adogs.info. And if um, you haven't heard enough of me and you want to hear it all again, you can actually get us on a podcast at the 3CR website, which also has a link from our website. Hurrah! The wonders of the interwebs. Again, www.adogs.info. Um, yeah, so a bit of music, a bit of this piece of that. I have promised you always, dear listeners, and I have had lots of feedback saying they really enjoy this next segment, which I'm going to talk about, which, of course, is state schools are great schools. Now, if you want to talk about great schools and state schools, let's talk about the numbers. It's VCE. VCE season here in Victoria. Oh, do you remember that? I do. Oh, shocking. You're going, I hope, I don't know, it's the worst important, most important thing in the world. And then, of course, you get a bit older and you realise it was all just made up by grown-ups to put you in fear whether you've got a VCA tar or this or that tar. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to talk about one of the best state schools in terms of VCE results, one of the best state schools in terms of VCE results. And it's the fourth best state school in, the, in, 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 in Victoria. Aspirational parents whose wages haven't gone up and whose debt has... Note. They do. Please note. Um, it's not McRobinson's Girl High School because that's a selective entry school, so you've got to do an exam to get there. It's not Melbourne High School, which is a state school, but it's selective entry, so you've got to get your kids to do an exam to get in there. And it's not the Victorian College of Arts, which is also a selective entry. You've got to do a really strict exam on musical art or dance all that sort of stuff. Um, so, and, 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 and there's Nossel High School. It's not that one where you have to again do an exam. We have to do an exam to get in. This is a normal state school. It's the fourth best state school in Victoria and there's no exams to get in. You can just rock on up and enrol if you're in the area. And I'm going to tell you all about this brilliant state school after, oh, after our little state schools are great schools. Intro. <laughs> Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Absolutely. State schools are great. So what's the school I'm talking about? I'm going to talk about the glorious Murrayville Community College. Where on earth is that? Murrayville. Um, well, you know how Victoria is not the biggest state in, in, in Australia, but it's not small either. Like, it's about the same size as the UK. Imagine the furthest place you could go in Victoria and still be in Victoria from Melbourne. Murray River. Yeah, now you go up the middle. You go up to Mildura. Yes, you keep going round and down up there. About seven hour drive, you get to Murrayville. Population, I don't know, not that much, but there's a school there in Murrayville. And in that school, there are prep to 12. Okay, so you got a little, little four year olds, and you got your 19 year olds, 18, 19 year olds, and all in one school. And how much, like, this is, this is literally not the middle of nowhere, because that's somewhere else, but it's next door. Okay, it's next door to the middle of nowhere, Murrayville Community College, and they are the fourth best state school. Their VCE results, okay, percentage of students who got 
who got 40 and over, okay, is the fourth highest for any state school in Victoria, out at Murrayville Community College. Well, it sounds like a fantastic community to be part of. Well, too. I mean, it's, it's not often do you hear the word community and actually mean something. You know, often when you hear people say, use the word, word community, it kind of means that that's exactly what they don't have, so they've got to use the word. But at the Murrayville Community College, it's definitely a college. There are 120 kids go there, so it's not a big, and that's prep to 12. Okay, prep to 12. Their VCE cohort was 37 kids. Okay. And of those 37 kids, they got the fourth highest percentage of, you know, of, of kids who did really well. That's 40, 40 and over. Um, what well, did the taxpayers pay for them? Well, let me tell you about these kids. You know, are they, are they the sons of squatters? You know, are, are they, you know, the, the, this rich place that all, all the local gentry sent? Nah. <laughs> 7% of the kids at the school are, the, are from the richest quartile. Now, when I say quartile, normally it's divided up into quarters, so 25%. So Australian distribution, just 25 kids are real rich and 7% for this school. So no. 19% are from the poorest quartile, but the vast majority are in the next one up. So that's sort of, they're not too poor, but they're, but they're not rich by any means. 46% of the kids are from, you know, working, struggling, farming families. Um, 10% of the kids come from background language other than English, and there's a couple of kids in the school that are Aboriginal as well. So it's prep to 12. <laughs> so just, just think about that, 120 kids. There's 20 teachers and 120 kids prep to 12. Well, if you're a tree changer, that would be the place to go if you've got children, isn't it? i tell you what, if I was aspirational middle class and I was looking for a really good state school and didn't want to spend money on a private school, and I, I lived in Hawthorne, I'd move to Murrayville. I'd definitely move to Murrayville because... If you really love your kids, that's what you do. If you're proper aspirational, that's what you do. Um, let me tell you more about the kids. Look, are they value for money? Well, this is a prep to 12 school next door to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, you know, providing food to these kids costs twice the amount it does in the middle of the city because they're not next to the Vic Markets, you know what I mean? So the infrastructure, so the price per kid... Price per kid is $22,000 per kid to educate each kid in, in, in this country school. Now, the median for state school kids is 12000 So we are spending a lot of money to educate these kids, but we live in a society where it's quite reasonable to support children in very, very remote areas to get educated. So as far as I'm concerned... And please note there isn't even a private school there because it, even at 22000 it wouldn't be worth their while. Um, and I would point out that their results are better than the Methodist Ladies College results. <laughs> and it costs $35,000 to send your kid there of your money plus another $10,000 of the taxpayers' money. So $46,000 in total is bad being spent on a kid at MLC, parents and government. In this school, it's 22000 and the parents aren't paying nothing. So, again, I think it's excellent value for money. Well, that's less than half the cost. Yeah, yeah, less, less than half the cost of MLC for, for better results. Well, I tell you what, if you listen to this and you're an aspirational parent in Hawthorne, you're worrying about where you're going to send your kid, I'd check out, I'd check out the real estate in Murrayville. I really would. But because it's prepped to year 12, I looked at their school's website. Okay, I looked at their school's their website and, and their newsletter, and it was a beautiful thing. I'll tell you what it was a beautiful thing, because the fact that they are the fourth best school, state school in the state, gets half a paragraph in their school newsletter. The upcoming fundraising fate gets a page. And the local school concert for preps to threes gets two pages. 
So whatever they're doing, it's not about the results. Quite frankly, it's nice out in Murrayville to get good VCE results, but that's not the point of the school. And when you look at the school, and it's, I think it's absolutely fascinating, if you actually look at the, the NAPLAN results, this is the results for all the kids from in the preppies and all the way through. NAPLAN, they get tested at year three, year five, year seven and year nine. They, they are your NAPLAN tests. And when you look at them, it's really, really fascinating because we're looking at the life of kids in a school. Now, in year three, their writing skills in this school are rubbish, really bad. Kids are turning up to this school, and by the time they're in year three, there's, there's big problems with their writing skills. Their reading skills are okay. Spelling, grammar, numeracy, they're all okay, but their writing skills are absolutely rubbish. By the time they get to year five, they are above average. So between year three and year five, they've turned the teachers, some of those 20 teachers, not all of them, because you've got those 20 teachers and you've got kids taking, teaching advanced physics and also trying to get struggling readers. You know, like the, the quality of these teachers doing this, both of these things at the same time is amazing as a team. They should be given accolades. By the time they get to year seven in this school, they are absolutely caning it. <laughs> They are so far above average, not just for all schools, but for similar schools as well. And by the time they get to year nine, they are still caning it in writing. They are writing their socks on. They are so far above average that it's almost, well, it's, it's, it's just way above, way above average. Should so, be a demonstration so that's, school. That's what the school's doing. They're taking kids that can't write nothing and teaching them until they're brilliant from the ages of about six to the ages of, 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 of 14. A school actually doing the job. A school actually doing the job. <laughs> Wonderful. And look, often, often NAPLAM results are, are, are very misleading. And it's a, it's a school of 120 kids. And like anyone who's done any teaching knows that one, school, one year level is always different to the next. But this school has actually taken that factor out because the whole school works together. Do you know what I mean? So in a school of 120 kids teaching four-year-olds and 18-year-olds at the same time, you don't get that year-level effect. Oh, this year's year eight's a horrible rule. Last year's were brilliant. You don't get it because everyone works together at everything. And as I say, if you check out the Murrayville Community College website, it's fascinating. Then they don't really care about the VC results. They actually care about their kids. It's obvious. It's obvious that everyone knows everyone and that's the way it works. So good news for aspirational middle class parents. If you are indeed interested um, in having the best state school education for and by the way, uh, fees, fees for this school for parents. Um, I just I'm just going to point, point this out because I think this is fascinating. Basically, there are none. So there are no fees for this school. But I'll tell you. Do, do, do other private sources. So uh, fees, charges and parent contributions. So you know how when kids go on camps, you, you, parents have to cough up for this and cough up for that. Contributions per student for a year, including all those going on camps and stuff, is $427 per year per student. But not every student would have to pay that. They and I'll be. tell you, not every student would have to pay that because if you don't have the money, if you're part of that 20% of the really poor kids, you're not paying. The, the school just says, no, we'll waive the fees for you because, yeah, mum's mum. It's a public school. Because cause it's a yes. Free, universal, offensive to none. Congratulations. I mean, like, we do different schools every week and they're all brilliant in their own ways, but I feel like going on a drive out there and just shaking their hands. I think it's brilliant. 
You're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. And I think we should actually tell you there's a few interesting things coming up because I'm going to have some community service announcements. Lest we forget, join us to commemorate the 176th anniversary of the execution of the two freedom fighters, Tanaminawai and Moabohina, at the Tanaminawai and Moabohina Monument, corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne. Do you know the names of the first men hanged here in Melbourne town? Join us midday, Saturday the 25th January 2018 and then walk with us to their last resting place in the Queen Victoria markets. The ceremony will be broadcast live on community radio 3CR, 3cr.org.au. Far from their ancestral homes down in Van Diemen's land this is a very important announcement, the uh, remembering the Aboriginal uh, warriors who fought the battle for their people here in Victoria. Joe Toscano and his wife and their friends are very largely responsible for uh, us remembering these special people and this will be the first time this year that Joe's wife will not be with us. So it's very important that we not only remember the Aboriginal people but also remember the people who made our remembering possible. Mm. So we look forward to seeing you there. And we look forward to seeing you there, stepping into the shoes of those that have fallen before us for a good cause. The numbers numbers shall not diminish. So, yeah, turn up. I'll be there, and I hope you'll be there too. Um, you listen to 3CR 855 and the AM dial. We are the dogs, the defenders of government schools. Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooeyed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday the 7th of January or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadela at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter. love a bit of brass music. Yeah, I'd turn up to that too. That sounds like excellent fun. I mean, isn't it wonderful to be part of 3CR? Like, this is a real community place, a real community radio. It's not just about us here defending government schools. It's about remembering and defending, I don't know, the people, <laughs> the people in the community. Talking mm-hmm. about community colleges, talking about community radios. I think these are the only two places left where the word community actually means anything. Well, this is where you can put your money where your mouth is and you can be sure that it's um, going to go to the right place. We can actually be independent and the dogs have been here since 1987 and we wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for Bill Hartley. So Robert is right. This Christmas time, we do need to remember those who've gone before us and the dogs, of course, remember Ray and Henry Nelson and Huey Kim and others who have been in the dogs and who've put their money where their mouth is and their time uh, because they believed in the cause of public education. And we're still in there battling this cause. It is just so important 
because as we said earlier, the cries of children have come down through the century and the, the children of the nation are the future of the nation. Yeah, which is kind of why we're here, um, because we have to keep fighting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a strange thing. Um, the free market forces these days, have, um, they're still there, but they're not really worth talking about anymore because I think they're a bit on the nose. But certainly in the light of various revelations, the religious elements of Australia who wish to destroy, I don't think that's too strong a word, wish to destroy public education in Australia, certainly undermine it, um, need to be fought. Um, and the battle <laughs> goes on, I suppose. Now, we've been talking about today, we're talking about the Johnson Amendment in the UK, we've been talking about um, the, the shift in the general, what we call mainstream media, I wouldn't call it fake media, but call it mainstream media, towards the, dog position, towards the dog's position of no state aid for religious schools. And, of course, we've been talking about what happens when you do properly resource a state school um, next door to the outback of uh, next door to the outback of nowhere. You get absolutely brilliant results year on year on year. Um, so many people put the state school system down, but, again, it just pops up. It's just, I mean, everyone Such thinks... Such a powerful idea. Yes, everyone thinks they're weeds, but they're not. They're actually, they're actually, the, they're actually the crop that, that, that Victoria grows the best. Um, you know, they're... they're the children are the future. I know it sounds like I sounds like Michael Jackson now, but the children are the future. Um, yeah, state schools are the only schools that educate all, with offence to none. And if anything gets in the way of that, I'm afraid you'll you'll have the dogs on your tail. Because if you set up a school which is not for all, and is and is offensive to people, then um and you want government money for it. Um, then you'll have us on your tail. We've been around on, oh, well, on 3CR since 1987, but we'll be, we've been around since 1964 before that. Not me the entire time. Um, but, yeah, as you say, you step into, the, step into the shoes of those that have fallen before you to fight the good fight. Now, you've been listening to what we say. You can read what we write at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Um, and we've had many listeners do that, actually, and many listeners call up and comment and contact us. So feel free to do so yourself, especially if you've got an idea about what a good state school is. Because we've had listeners say, oh, you've got to check out this school, you've got to check out that school, uh, which is why I was talking about Murrayville today. One of the listeners said, you've got to check out Murrayville, they're doing good jobs. So that's what I'll do. So if you're aware of a good state school, please call 3CR. There is a list going up on 3CR. You can call on 03-9419-8377. Uh, 8377 um, call up and say for, it's for the dogs program I reckon that Rob should have a look at this school and I'll do it and I'll be on the air doing it in the, in the weeks to come but our time is gone and it's bye for now bye for now indeed I dreamed I saw Joey last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead.
Rubber bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe. What they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Joe, you're ten years dead. I 